Is there such a thing as a magic number? Once every seven days, Judaism and many other religions enjoy a day of rest. But why seven? There are several answers to this question. The devout Jew will answer that we rest one every seven days because God commanded it so, and God rested from his creation of the universe on the seventh day. Fair enough. A second answer might come from an anthropologist. He or she would say that over millennia, cultures somehow figured out that seven is the magic number, that the work capacity for a society ceases after six days. A day of rest is in order so that the society can continue to function and flourish. Notice that the first and second answers do not contradict each other. A third answer would come from, for lack of a better word, an annoying person. He or she would say, seven days is just a social construct. It has no significance, neither from God, because there is no God, nor from culture. Not only that, but seven days is an irrational number. It would make more sense to rest once every 10 days, as then the week can be more evenly divided up, or something like that. In fact, this third opinion from the so-called annoying person was, for a short time, state policy in France. The French Revolution of 1789 turned radical in 1792 in the period known as the Terror. The radicals of this period, known as Jacobins, really, really wanted to upend history and French culture. They set out to abolish religion, paganism, and all irrationality from France. Churches were, were burned to the ground, statues were defaced, aristocrats and priests were beheaded. In addition, the French radicals sought to change our beloved calendar with its pagan and religious roots. This meant changing the length of the week from seven days to 10, in which the 10th day, not the seventh, would be the day off. To make a longer story short, the 10-day experiment failed. Even though the number 10 was more rational, and did not have any pagan or religious roots, it somehow just didn't work. It was, we might say, unmagic. Ten days was too long to wait for a Sabbath, and, in turn, it was not long before the entire calendar collapsed and the radical phase of the revolution along with it. No one can quite explain why, but the number seven just seems to work. It is, when it comes to the length of the week, the magic number. Don't mess with seven. It is often stated, however, that three is the magic number. This argument is, I think, short-sighted. As I have just tried to show, seven is the magic number for a week's length. In fact, magic numbers are all around us, and they very often are not three. I was reading in the New York Times that, in China, Four is an unlucky number. This is because the word for four and the word for death sound rather similar in Chinese. The word for four is si, and the word for death is siwan. But I ask you, can four really be an unlucky number? How can four be unlucky if the Beatles had four members in their group and so many of their songs open up like this? One, two, three, five!
or like this. For George Washington, eight was the magic number. Even though his citizens were ready to make him king, he decided that eight years was the right amount of time for an American president to rule. Considering that our republic has lasted as long as it has, and that we have not yet, and I stress the word yet, had a true issue with the transition of power, it seems that Washington chose rightly. For Moses, 40 was the magic number. He spent 40 days on Mount Sinai, no more and no less. Why couldn't it have been 39 days or 41 days? I don't know, but it just couldn't have been. There is, in short, no superior number. Okay, maybe it is three. But still, three at least isn't always the superior number. But there do seem to be perfect numbers for specific scenarios. As I see it, our job is to track these numbers down. Eins, zwei, drei, vier, fünf, sechs, sieben, acht, neun. You are listening to The Shrift, Life Tip 17, Isaiah 6. Alle warten auf das Licht. Fürchtet euch, fürchtet euch nicht. Die Sonne scheint mir aus den Augen. Sie wird heute Nacht nicht untergehen. Und die Welt zählt laut bis zehn. is not always the magic number. I shudder when I think of what the world might look like if Moses was only on Mount Sinai for three days, or if God had only given three commandments. But as I mentioned a bit earlier, the number three does seem to be magic rather often. Not always, but certainly often. Think, for example, of the fairy tales of the Grimm brothers. The princess in the tower had three chances to guess Rumpelstiltskin's name, in Snow White, the evil stepmother tries three times to have Snow White murdered. The glass slipper does not find its proper foot until first Cinderella's two stepsisters have tried and failed to put it on. So, why three? One reason why three is so often a magical number is that three arises as a creative and unexpected solution to binary problems. In debates, for example, 
two sides will often dig their heels in, and it will seem that no solution can ever be found, and that, instead, the two sides will just become further estranged from one another. Often, the way around these impasses is an altogether new strategy, which no one had thought of before, a third way. One area in which this dichotomy has historically been particularly strong is between male and female, the so-called battle of the sexes. In his 1808 play, Penthesilea, German playwright and author Heinrich von Kleist tries to show the limits and the dangers of binary thinking on questions of gender. Though Kleist is not so well-known in the English-speaking world, he is truly one of the great literary giants in the German world. He is best known for his novel, Michael Kohlhaas. Kleist studied at the University of Berlin and was a contemporary of Goethe, Schlegel, and E.T.A. Hoffmann. The play, Penthesilea, is about the Amazonians' war against the Greeks. The Amazons were an army comprised entirely of females who had determined to live their lives without men, that it was better to fight men than to love them. The general for this army of Amazons, Penthesilea, falls in love with the captain of the Greek army, Achilles. Penthesilea then must choose between two sides, between her Amazonian soldiers or between her love. In fact, Penthesilea chooses neither. Instead, she brutally murders Achilles before turning her dagger on herself. Kleist's play attempts to demonstrate the limits of binary thinking. At the beginning of the play, Odysseus short-sighted the remarks that Penthesilea must decide which of two armies, the Greeks or the Trojans, she will ally the Amazons with. A few lines later, Kleist furthers the idea that dualism is a thick-headed view of the world. Kleist has Odysseus exclaimed, So far as I can tell, in nature there is only power and resistance to power. There is no third. In short, Kleist's play shows how, when it comes to debates on gender, two is not the magic number. Penthesilea, the play's heroine, is depicted as a kind of visionary who glimpses a third way for women. Originally, women had been largely the slaves of men in society. The Amazon army was a reaction against this enslavement, in which men were now the enemies rather than the masters. Penthesilea aims to see beyond this binary, but even she is not clear as to what this third way will look like. All she indicates is that it will be entirely different from the dichotomy which had existed hitherto. The radicalness which a third way requires becomes most apparent in the play's final scene. In this final scene, Penthesilea savagely murders Achilles by biting him in his neck and tearing him apart with her teeth, along with the assistance of her dogs. Her Amazonian warriors watch on, and even they are horrified. They fall back on traditional notions of femininity in their denunciation of Penthesilea. They comment that a woman should not behave this way, and that a woman should have better grace and manners. Penthesilea's feminism was, in this instance, too radical even for them. Moreover, it is though, when two sides dig in their heels against each other, both sides remain limited by their views of each other. 
neither really wants to revolt or knows how to do so. But Kleist seems to say that when you can express your love for someone by tearing him apart with your teeth, then you have found a way out of the dichotomy. You have settled upon the magical third way. In the Haftarah for this week, the Parsha of Yitro, we read from the book of Isaiah. In this reading, in chapter 6, verse 3, we receive Isaiah's famous lines, which read as follows. Holy, holy, holy is God, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. Kadosh, 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 you may recognize these lines from the Amidah prayer, which Jews read three times a day in synagogue. This thrice recitation of the word kadosh, holy, really stands out. The Torah will often repeat things, maybe twice, in order to emphasize their importance, but to state the same word three times in a row really captures its magnitude. A similar moment occurs in Hamlet, when Hamlet famously recites the phrase, words, words, words. There is something about saying a word three times which really magnifies it. Meanwhile, if the word were to be said a fourth time, kadosh, 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 well, that would just sound silly, as though the speaker were insecure or childish. Indeed, Torah commentators Rashi and Ibn Ezra would both write that the thrice calling of the word kadosh emphasizes its importance. Yet, neither Rashi nor Ibn Ezra explain why kadosh is said three times and not, say, four times or even eight. I myself also do not have a great explanation, and maybe that is the point. We somehow intuitively know that, in this case, three is the magic number, and that any more or any less would just sound ridiculous. It could be that, just as the week must have seven days to properly flow, kadosh must be sung three times to make its impact known. It could be that three signifies a transcendental, Hegelian moment in which a binary is split and a new revolutionary order comes out from the dismantling, as Penzelea seems to have longed for in Kleist's play. Sometimes, we can sort of explain why a number is magical, but our explanations of numbers, it seems, will only ever take us so far. When it comes to meditation, I would not recommend the number three. Rather, I would suggest the number 10. Breathe in and then breathe out. When you get to the end of your out-breath, simply count the number one, then repeat this time counting the number two when you get to the end of your out-breath. Keep going until you get to 10. And then, if you'd like, repeat the counting again, starting back at one. This is a technique I learned from the contemporary meditation teacher, Bodhip Aksa of Wild Mind. In this case, 10 seems to be truly a magic number. You will find that it is actually quite difficult to reach 10 that your mind gets distracted and you will lose the count. If you lose the count, you need to start over again, back at the beginning, from one. Through this meditation, you discover that reaching the 10th outbreath is proof in and of itself that you have already brought your mind to stillness. A wild mind, in short, can't get to 10. 
why do we count to 10 out-breaths and not say five or 20? On that matter, why is 10 the first number to have two digits, one and zero? And why is 10 tens, 100, the first number to have three digits, one, zero, zero? Is there something intrinsically special about the number 10? Or did we simply give 10 this elite place because we have 10 fingers on our hands? I don't know the answer to any of these questions, but I know that for whatever reason, I am not going to start counting to seven outbreaths, nor am I going to start celebrating a 10 day long week. I saw a film today, oh boy. The English army had just won the war. A crowd of people turned away. But I just had to look, having read. Wait, 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 wait,